When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes. What timer score? Leon Dreisaitl. What a play by McDavid. Dreisaitl's got it back. 10 seconds to play. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. The Philadelphia Flyers going after their eighth straight victory, leading the Canucks 1-0 early in the second period. Couturier has his 21st of the season. No score early in the second between Anaheim and Toronto. And also early in the second period, Rangers leading the Kings 2-1. Kreider and Zabinijad scoring for the Rangers. Kempe has the reply for the Kings. Coming up a bit later tonight, the Coyotes will meet the Stars. Tomorrow here on 6.30, Chad, the Edmonton Oilers back home where they have not been good for a while now. Just two wins in their last 11 home games. They'll be taking on the Chicago Blackhawks. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. The puck will drop at 7. The Oilers 2 2-0 against the Hawks this season. Back on October 28th, they won 2-1 in overtime in Chicago. And then just a few days later, November 1st, they shut out the Blackhawks 4-0 at Rogers Place. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 6.08. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. You can participate in the show by texting 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. We will have some, I'm sure, uh, spirited discussion after the 630 News with former Edmonton Eskimo Jed Roberts and the current head coach of the Edmonton Huskies junior football team, Ian McLean, about the Patriots' victory yesterday in the Super Bowl How did they hold the Rams to three points? And the Patriots' place in history, which is already a lofty one. Are they the greatest franchise of all time? Is it the greatest run of all time in North American pro sports? We will discuss that and some other options as well. Oscar Clefbaum will uh, will participate with the Oilers in the morning skate tomorrow. The team did not practice today. And maybe Clefbaum is activated tomorrow and uh, returns for the game against the Blackhawks, but we won't know until tomorrow's morning skate. As for defenseman Andre Sekera, he has been assigned to the Bakersfield Condors on a conditioning assignment as he is getting close to returning from that uh, Achilles tendon tear that he suffered in the summer. He has not played this season. Last year, he played 36 games. I was coming back from a torn ACL uh, way back in the 2017 playoffs. He only had eight assists and was minus 15 in 36 games last season. He did not look like uh, the player who the Oilers had for a couple of years before that. So Sekera goes to Bakersfield. That is for uh, three games or six days. The Oilers then can ask for an extension of a couple of games if they want to continue to take a look at him. So that's the story with Sekera. If they get him back anywhere near 
the defenseman that he can be and get Clefbaum back, well, all, all of a sudden you have a much better blue line. Now the Oilers would have to make some sort of other moves to clear up cap space, but we're not there quite yet. But that's uh, the Oilers news from today. Andre Sekera assigned to the Bakersfield Condors on a conditioning assignment. The Oilers did get two points over the weekend, 500 on the road. That's where they are for the season. That is okay, but it easily could have, should have been three or four. The Oilers took leads into the third period, both in Philadelphia and Montreal. They were up 3-2 after two. They extended that to 4-2 in Philadelphia, allowed a couple of power play goals, lost in overtime. And yesterday against Montreal, I thought we're having a very good third period. Montreal wasn't getting a lot of action. The, the clock was bleeding down. There, there weren't a lot of whistles. And then kind of out of nowhere on what should have been a pretty innocent-looking play, Koskinen fails to cover the puck at the side of the net. Jesperi Kotkaniemi is there to flip it in short side. That tied it. And uh, then the Oilers unable to take advantage of a couple of chances in overtime. And Jonathan Drouin got the winner. Head coach Ken Hitchcock, yeah, he was... Like in that third period against the Habs. We played a perfect third period. This is the best we've played on the road all year. Did everything we needed to do, and we got to have a save. We had them frustrated. They couldn't get through the neutral zone. We're turning pucks over and creating scoring chances. We played one hell of a third period. That's the best I've seen a team play for a long time. We had perfect positioning, our reloads, our checking was unbelievable, and we did a hell of a job. But. Like I said, we've got to have a save there. Yeah, well, the Oilers' goaltending ever since they had that 9-2-2 and run under Hitch has been, uh, you know, save percentage in the, in the bottom 10 of the, of the NHL ever since uh, about the middle of December. And both games this weekend, yeah, yeah, they go to overtime and uh, they could have been regulation wins. Talbot on Saturday, made some big saves, no doubt about it. Late in regulation time, final 12 seconds, he made three big saves in front. Philadelphia nearly won it in regulation time. That would have been zero points for the Oilers. Um, but, you know, probably a couple of those power play goals, you're hoping he makes the stop. And then uh, yesterday, Koskinen absolutely made some good stops, made a big save in overtime that, that set up that 2 on 0 for Drysdale and McDavid. They weren't able to finish, and then Drew Ann comes back and scores. But uh, that goal that Hitchcock was, was talking about, you know, short side, puck should have been covered, stays alive, gets flipped in from a really awkward angle. So the Oilers goaltending, I, I don't know if they're letting in really egregiously bad goals, but but too many are going in. Is that the only problem on the team? Well, no way, but you see the difference. When you, you when you get lights out goaltending, especially at home, like Koskinen was giving during the bulk of that 9-2-2 two two run compared with what we've seen recently, well, there's the difference between getting a point an extra point out of the game. Could have could have been three or four, should have been three or four this weekend. They settle for two. They remain three points out of a playoff spot. This is just a fight to the finish. I mean, we're, we're playing our hearts out right now. We're doing everything we can to try to win hockey games, and we need more people to step up. So we either need the big save or the big play. Like I said, we're trying to include more people in the participation. We had a few more people involved today that were factors in the game. We just can't keep going the same two or three guys. And for me, more participation today. Our team play in the third period was as good as we've done, like I said. So we've got a semblance of there, but 
we're going to have to push for more people to be involved if we want to be a playoff team. Well, they did pushing. get some goal-scoring participation Saturday. Raddy scored. Cassian scores shorthanded. Larson gets just his second of the year on top of that spectacular goal from McDavid. And then yesterday, it's it's back to the big guys uh, on the power play or just after an Oilers power play expired. Drysettle getting two, McDavid getting one. I will say this for Hitch. He didn't shuffle the lines. He stuck with it. Even had the, the the fourth line out there in the third period in both games. Not as much as the other lines, but but he, uh, for the most part, kept Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, and Drysettle on different lines. And uh, they appeared to, you know, have a pretty good rhythm at some point. O- overall, I didn't mind the Oilers' five-on-five play for the weekend. It was it was better in Philadelphia against Montreal, but uh, I, I thought it was a decent five-on-five weekend for the Oilers. But they allowed five power play goals against, and then uh, obviously a tough one going in on Koskinen yesterday afternoon. Okay, you've probably seen video of this from the Atlantic University Conference men's hockey, the brawl between Acadia and St. FX. You've had over a dozen players suspended. The coaches are in trouble. John Moore from sportsandmore.com in Halifax will have his perspective when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Well, Big brawl Saturday night, Atlantic University Conference Hockey, Acadia and St. FX, third period, absolutely wild benches, coaches involved, massive punishments in the game, and I'm sure more to come to give us some of the backstory and what could happen as a result. John Moore from Halifax, he has the website sportsandmore.com. John, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Yeah, just great, Reed. Uh, all was well here on the East Coast. Well, thanks for checking in today, and uh, you're obviously following a pretty big story out of U-Sports Hockey, out of the uh, Atlantic Conference, and uh, a very unusual scene, I think, in the modern age of hockey, and especially in university hockey, where you're you're not supposed to fight at all, and if there is something that gets a little punchy, it usually doesn't escalate uh, to that extent. Yeah, extremely rare. Uh, as you point out, uh, fight is a is a rarity, but a, a brawl. And and this was a this was a brawl. Make no mistake about it. Uh, for those that haven't seen the the video, uh, players coming off the bench. There were numerous fights on the ice, and of course, uh, players reaching into the benches. And and it went on for a considerable amount of time, 300 minutes in penalties. So, yeah, it was a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy brawl. And uh, now uh, the investigation is underway. And uh, obviously the this is a this is a, a story of, of national significance. So uh, we'll be interested to see what unfolds here in the next 48 hours. You know, the Atlantic University Conference is you know it's a small conference, and, and teams play each other a lot. Same thing out here in Canada West. You have rivalries, Acadia and Saint FX. Uh, you know, good hockey programs. What, like, was there something brewing between these two teams, between these particular sets of players? Do you have any idea what set this off? Yeah, I think that there, there has been a, uh, and yes, uh, these are two, Sanovac and Acadia are two very small, very successful uh, and proud schools. And they both had great success in, in, in their hockey programs, their men's hockey programs. I think the last couple of years, uh, the temperature has risen a little bit with the rivalry. And I think that earlier in the year there were uh, some so, some incidents uh, that were were uh, caught before they uh, 
really, really exploded. Uh, but this time uh, they didn't. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, speculation as to what led to it. Uh, and perhaps it may have been uh, a player crossing the line, meaning something said a disparaging comment about uh, a member of, a, of an opposition's family. So that, uh, that may have been the, the, final, uh, the final straw, and it just boiled over from there. Well, I've I've seen the the videos from a couple of different angles. Obviously, you had people whipping out their phones and getting some of this stuff. Yeah. There was a, there's a, an angle from a fan who was pretty much right behind the benches, and I mean this was players involved fighting, uh, coaches shouting back and forth. You can hear some challenging going on there. Um, yeah. it, I mean, and obviously the coaches are. are probably going to be punished out of this too do you have any sense of their role in this were the, were the coaches well, part of it yeah. or were they trying to calm yeah. it down i i think uh i think initially they were trying to keep it under control but then when when all hell broke loose i think the 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 coaches uh were, were well I, I when brad Peddle, the saint of x coach actually climbed the glass uh, which separated the two benches and you know, was hurling uh, all kinds of comments towards the Darren Burns, the Acadia head coach, and uh, you know they they play each other six times during the course of the regular season, and and as I say, the, things will unfold. But yeah, absolutely. Now, Pedal has already been suspended once this this season. He received a one-game suspension earlier in the year, so this would be strike two for him. So yeah, we're kind of curious to see just how hard the uh, the AUS Dave McLean is the convener for hockey. And and uh, he's, he'll be the one who makes the decision. I'm speculating that they've already had an athletic director conference call. And uh, so we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, yes, I, su- I suspect both coaches will be suspended. And numerous players will be suspended uh, for multiple games. Now, having said all that, the regular season comes to an end this weekend. Acadia is supposed to play St. Mary's in Halifax on Wednesday night. And the question is, if a decision has been made, suspensions are handed out, will they have enough players to ice a team? And uh, again, the playoffs are just around the corner. And who do you suppose is supposed to meet a potential first-round matchup? Looking more and more likely, Acadia and St. Avex. Yeah, I was looking at the standings today, and that immediately struck me. John Moore joining us from sportsandmore.com uh, in Halifax, talking about the uh, Saturday's brawl between Acadia and St. FX in U Sports Hockey. I, I, I mean, this I can't remember a, a brawl of this magnitude in U Sports, so I wonder how they're going to handle it. In, in your mind, and I'll ask you to you know, speculate yeah. a little bit, or, or, or even if this might be on the table, could they shut these two teams down for the rest of the year? Could they say you just you just don't get to compete? Do you think they'd go that far? Yeah, I, I don't think that's out of the question. I really don't. As harsh as that might be, um, I, you know, we've seen it in the past where programs have been suspended. Um, and but I I don't think that I would not rule that out completely. I, I think it's unlikely, but. Uh, again, uh, I just think that there's going to be some very, very heavy discipline handed out as a result of this, and that's that would be extremely uh, difficult to, for both programs to accept. But I think that is 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 possible. Um, again, um, there are. I might point out that there. It's a 22-man roster. That's it, and. 
that's all the players you have. So if you're going to have two, four, six, eight players potentially suspended from each team, uh, you know, what, what are you going to? How are you going to? How are you going to go forward? Uh, so I, I, again, there, I, 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 you know, I could speculate, but uh, I, I do see multiple players receiving multiple game suspension. Both teams have two games remaining in their regular season, and then the playoffs begin. The first round is a best of three, and then the second round is a best of five, and then the championship is a best of three. So um, I suspect some players their seasons will end. Uh, and again, whether the whether the the programs are suspended, that is a possibility for sure. This is probably a, a tough one, obviously for the schools because they're going to face whatever discipline and and the black mark on the programs. But you and I both know university hockey has a following, but I wouldn't say it has a widespread following. I mean, we're lucky here in Edmonton to have the Golden Bears. And often when the Golden Bears go to nationals, the favorites are the Golden Bears and whoever won Atlantic, right? <laughs> As yeah. you know, you UNB has yeah. been great yeah. been great lately. But I'm curious your sense of the, the, the public reaction. Fair to say maybe a lot of people in, in Halifax, in Nova Scotia, uh, talking about university hockey for for the first time in a long time today, unfortunately, just because of this. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, particularly here in uh, you know in, in Atlantic Canada, the, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has captured the the fans' attention, and so therefore that's where you see the nine or ten thousand strong down at the the Scotiabank Center in Halifax, or eight thousand at Moncton's New Avenue Center. That's that's where the fans are going, and that's where the focus has been. University sport does not draw those kind of numbers here. Uh, UNB perhaps certainly uh, would be the exception. Uh, but uh, here in Halifax, yeah, you're, you might have 500 to 1,000 uh, fans to a game. Uh, everyone's aware of the caliber of play and, and what a great conference it is here, the Atlantic Conference. Uh, but, again, this you're right. Uh, here this story appears uh, in front of a sports fan, and, and university sport just doesn't get a lot of uh, time in the spotlight. And to have this kind of story to tell, it's, it's very unfortunate. Well, it's going to be interesting to, to, to keep an eye on. This is something that obviously needs to be punished and uh, kind of unprecedented to handle it and see where they're going to go with this. John, thanks for giving us your update on the story. Really appreciate you joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Yeah, my pleasure anytime. So that's John Moore from sportsandmore.com. And just a little more information here. A, a Saint FX player, Sam Studnicka, is, uh, the, the story goes, is related to uh, somebody who uh, survived a sexual assault. And uh, the allegation here from St. FX is, is that an Acadia player was uh, making derogatory comments about this sexual assault survivor. Uh, Coach Brad Peddle from St. FX saying in a statement today, I feel this incident was very avoidable because upon our repeated discussions about the situation, supporting Sam has always been the top priority. In this specific instance, our team took a stand to protect him from repeated unnecessary... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Insults that have no place in sport or the greater society. We'll see how the Atlantic Conference deals with this. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Oilers host Chicago tomorrow. Defenseman Andre Sekra has been assigned to Bakersfield for a conditioning stint. Their next game is Friday. NHL tonight, all these games late in the second period. Maple Leafs lead the Ducks 2-0. Tavares has his 31st. Flyers lead the Canucks 2-1. Philly going for its eighth consecutive victory. And the Rangers are up 2-1 on the Kings. Coyotes and Stars just getting underway. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, the Edmonton Oil Kings back home. Man, they are doing great. 8-1-1 in their last 10. And they will take on Prince Albert tonight at 7 at Rogers Place. Prince Albert, the best team in junior hockey, though the Oil Kings did beat them in PA on Friday night. Well, they did it again. They did it in surprising fashion. I don't know if anybody had 13-3 for the final score. I, I quickly, though, I got to give Kellen Kennedy credit, our studio producer this evening. Kellen, we did Super Bowl picks. Mm-hmm. Now, I picked the Patriots to win the game, mm-hmm. and uh, you picked the Rams. Yeah. I will say this. I think you deserve the point in the pool and not me. Okay. Because you had 21-12 as the final score. Right. Like You're the only person I saw who had even a remotely low-scoring game with mm-hmm. both teams 21 or less. I well, mean, I thought it was going to be low. I didn't think it was going to be as low as we got, though. That was kind of the disappointing well, bit of it. You win our pool. Cool. Thank you. The prize is nothing. Hey. <laughs> The prize is pride. I'm I'm happy with that. You got the pride. All right. A lot of pride for these two guys. Love having them on the show. Pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports, former Edmonton Eskimo Jed Roberts. Jed, how's it going, buddy? It's going great. What a great game that was yesterday if you're a defensive guy. And also on the line, head coach of the Edmonton Huskies, it is Ian McLean. Ian, how are things? Things are excellent, Reed. Great to hear from you. Looking forward to talking about this stuff tonight. Well, we, we got a lot to get into, but uh, being uh, who you guys are, you're going to have a, a, a deeper understanding of what was going on in that game. Jed, I'll start with you. You just mentioned, you know, if you like defense, you gotta you got to like that game 13-3. I mean, it was 3-3 early in the in the fourth quarter. For a while, I was doubting a, 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 a touchdown might even be scored. What what led to the game being so defense and I and I think you got to give the Rams defense credit too. I mean they only gave up thirteen, but what were the two defenses doing that prevented so many drives and so many big plays? I uh, just were bend but not break, you know. And, and field position was a huge thing. I, I don't think the Rams ever really had any good field position until later in the game. You know they were consistently starting with their own like twenty. And, and in, you know, like a couple of them started on their own three or one. Like it was, I felt bad for the Rams. The other thing that I couldn't understand what the Rams were doing is that they didn't seem to understand how to play zone. You know, like uh, the Patriots play zone, and I just don't, I, like I was pretty shocked. Uh, and then Gurley never really got going. And I think Anderson had a couple of runs late in the game. But, you know, their play action, they, they um, you know, their quarterback's not a guy that's going to sit back there in the pocket. He's a play action guy, right? So, the run's not going, it kind of shuts everything else down because, uh, you know, they, uh, yeah, it was a weird game. Like, I, uh, I also thought that when uh, Eidelman was getting covered by Tlaib, that was a bad sign because so he was just killing Tlaib. Tlaib was three steps behind him all the way over. 
when they tried to run man. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting game. If you're a defensive guy, it was, it was a dream because there were – it was a big chess match, but it was a snooze fest for everybody else that wanted a shootout. So. <laughs> All right, Ian. Uh, I mean, you're on the sidelines for the Huskies. You know what it's it's like to be a coach. I'm sure you've heard it whispered or said to your face. Oh, Ian got out coached. McVeigh said that uh, in 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 his in his post game. I mean, I mean, you 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 got to wear the headset. You know, sometimes the the coach can get too much blame when something like that goes wrong. But did Belichick and company come in with a better plan? Then McVeigh and company. How do you look at it? Well, I mean, Sean McVeigh said as much after the game. So I mean, he, he was the one who was there. Uh, I thought that it was very interesting. Like Jed said, the inability for the Rams to establish the run, and so much of their offense is based on the play-action pass. I mean, Jared Goff had a great year uh, because of the play-action pass and because of Todd Gurley and because of Anderson later on in the year. And I think because of either maybe an injury they're not telling us about or just the inability uh, for the Rams to get that run game going really took away the things that they were able to hang their hat on all season long. Uh, I think that uh, New England had a great game plan, too. They played a lot of two deep safeties on third down, uh, which caused some issues because when you're expecting to have some of those deep shots available for you um, and you have those safeties that are hanging out there playing, playing middle, basically playing center field, uh, it took away a lot of the game plan for the Rams, and I mean, there's a reason Bill Belichick has 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 so much success because he's a defensive guru and is able to game plan to stop high-powered offenses like I almost said St. Louis, but like LA. Ian, Ian, let me follow up with, with something. And uh, Tony Romo has really emerged as a as a star color commentator, the former quarterback for the Cowboys. I actually, from a broadcasting perspective, I thought he had a bit of a shaky first half, but he was awesome in the second half. And he mentioned that the Patriots were showing blitz, but then they usually would only bring four guys. And then that play at the end of the game, they, they brought seven and it, and it led to the interception. I mean, is that is that just a coach biding his time? Like, do you think that's Belichick's plan all along? I'm just not going to dial it up till we really need it? Absolutely. And I think part of it, too, I mean, he, he did get pressure on Jerry Goff quite consistently. Uh, and I think that that absolutely, I mean, from an outsider's impression, that, that absolutely, I think, is going to be part of the game plan. I mean, when you have a 41-year-old quarterback going up against, I think, Goff's got Goff 24 or something right. like that. <laughs> in his first Super Bowl, I think, second or third year in the league, if you can get pressure on him, it's going to be harder for him to perform. And especially with the inability of the Rams to get that run going, it puts it a lot of, a lot of weight on the shoulders of, of a young guy. Uh, you saw later on in the game in the fourth quarter, there was a couple plays that were wide open. Uh, that played a Brandon Cooks in the end zone where he was basically standing there with nobody around him. If that ball's on time, that's a touchdown. But when you're getting pressure in your face, and I think he was pressured almost full, almost 50% of the plays, it just gives you the you're not able to make those plays, especially when it's your first time in the big dance. Jed, you've been out there on, on the defensive line in, in big games in your career in the CFL. And there, there are probably moments, I'm sure there were many moments, where you knew your defense was frustrating the other team's quarterback, the running backs, or whoever. Um, do, you, do you ever have to guard against being over-anxious, being too aggressive in situations like that? Or how does it feel like when, as a defensive player, you're, you're taking the initiative? Because in this day and age, it's often the offense that takes the initiative. Yeah, the game is really like the rules favor the offense, right? So that's why I think a lot of people were shocked at what happened yesterday. I also thought that, uh, you know, the Rams were lining up, and you don't really see this very much anymore, but they were lining up what we call a double eagle where they cover up all the offensive linemen on first down in particular. And I'm not really familiar with, like, how 
I know Wade Phillips is a great coach, but I'm not sure that that's his bread and butter. So that was a bit of a wrinkle that I wasn't expecting. And it gave the Patriots a lot of trouble because they couldn't really, uh, although they did get off to a bit of a hot start running. The, I think their first run was like 14 yards or something, but you know, they were, uh, they were just matching up, you know, and I know, uh, the Patriots defense, they just destroyed their, the Rams right guard. Like they, they were just killing him. Like they feasted on him. And that was where a lot of that pressure was coming from. Um, you know, it was really kind of cool to watch the matchups inside. You know, you, you heard all week about the Rams interior with Sue and, uh, Donald, but I thought the Patriots inside, uh, interior line really dominated the game last night. They had a couple of guys there that were just, uh, breaking through and making timely plays. And, you know, I said it twice. I'm going to say it again. You know, it was just a dream to watch as a defensive coach because you don't really <laughs> often see that in those big games. You know, I don't think that the rest of the country really liked to watch in a, a three nothing game at halftime. But uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty cool. Well, uh, but you're... yeah, when you're in a big game, I could tell early on that the Rams were really tight. Uh, the Patriots looked very comfortable, like they just kind of went to work, you know. And uh, I thought it was going to be a, a bit of a jailbreak when the first run, drive there, when they were just kind of just methodically marching down. Seemed like they were winning the matchup inside. The linebackers for the Patriots were having trouble um, stepping up and taking on the, uh, you know, making the plays in the hole. They were they were on their heels a lot. But uh, you know, Wade Phillips is a great coach, and he put his guys in position to make plays. You know, I think the Rams were in the game right up until probably beginning of the fourth quarter i think that's when everything kind of started to turn in the patriots favor for sure but uh, yeah well you, you're right you, you wonder if the experience and, and again i'm going to go back to something romo said guys so when the patriots drove for the touchdown they had that uh crossing pattern or i don't know if he crossed i think he just might have kind of stopped over the middle and then Romo said right away, they're going to go back to this play. And then they called it the next two plays in a row. <laughs> and uh, they got a pass out into the flat. And then the long one to Gronk down to the one-yard line. And I found that really interesting, guys. I'll start with you, Ian, because, you know, you, you know with with football and, and, and fans will watch and say, well, they they got to mix it up. They, why don't they do a trick play? Why don't they do something off balance? And what I found interesting there was the Patriots just found a play that worked and said, to heck with it. We'll just call it over and over again. Like, why overthink it, right, if you think it's going to work? Well, and especially in that situation, they were going with pace and tempo. And anytime you get a chance to go and, and make a defense be on their heels a little bit, they want to protect their timeouts because they're in that, at that point in time, the game is so close. You're trying not to use timeouts on defense, um, but they caught the Rams in a fit. They didn't substitute, and when they went up there, they had a snap of the ball with lots of time on the clock. And what it is, if you find something, especially with a dominant athlete like Rob Gronkowski, uh, if you find something that's working, why would you stray from it? I think football coaches can be faulted for a lot of things, but I think overcomplicating things is probably one of the number one things of any coach in, the, in any level of football. Um, so I think, again, you get a guy who's now got six championships with right. one team in Belichick, he, he obviously knows, I mean, wh- why change it, why complicate it when you can make the, a complicated game a simple game. Okay, so Jed, let me ask you this, because you and I have talked a ton about film study, pre-snap recognition, communicating with your teammates. Should have the Rams been able to react to that? Better say, like, is somebody yelling, same play, same play? Like, what, what should have been going on down there? Yeah, you know, it, it's big big players make big plays in big games, you know, like, and I didn't see anybody on the Rams in that moment take that, you know, you talk about the interior, you know, force of the Rams, but those guys in that moment, they buckled, you know, they just uh, 
hats off to the Patriots, man. I mean, this is a salary cap year with the handicap schedule. You know, they've got a lot of moving parts. They haven't had the same guys year in, year out. Really, the only constants have been Brady and Belichick. And the rest of the guys have been rotating in and out. And they've just had success no matter what. You know, it's a, it's a cultural thing, right? Like, they just go to work and they don't make excuses. They just find ways to beat you. And if it works, they don't complicate it. They just keep running it until you stop it. You know, and that's what makes them great. All right, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you both on hold during the commercial. We're we're gonna have a bit of a debate when we get back. Might go until after after seven o'clock. People can text in as well. So six championships in eighteen seasons, nine trips to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm gonna throw in some other extended periods of dominance in North American major pro sports history. And we'll decide which is the most dominant. Actually, we probably won't decide. But we'll talk about it when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Oilers and Blackhawks tomorrow. 5.30 face-off show. The game will start at 7 here on 6.30 Chad. This portion of Inside Sports presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialists. Call 7804-FAMILY or check them out online, furnacefamily.com. Add this to the Patriots' resume over the last 18 seasons. 16 playoff appearances. They've gone to the AFC Championship game 13 times. So 13 times in the 18 seasons, uh, they've been in at least the final four. And obviously in nine, they advanced to the Super Bowl. Head coach of the Edmonton Huskies, Ian McLean, is on the line. Former Edmonton Eskimo, Jed Roberts, joining me as well. Guys, thanks for doing this. All right, I, I'm going to... I'm going to throw some teams out here, and I know I assigned you guys homework this afternoon to think about this. Um, and as you guys may not agree with all these being on this list, but I started to think about dominant teams for extended periods of times. The Chicago Bulls from uh, 1989 to 1998 won six championships, went to the East Final where they lost a couple other times, lost a couple of times in the second round. Those years they didn't have Jordan. The Montreal Canadiens won 15 Stanley Cups in 24 years from 1956 to 1979. The Boston Celtics won 11 NBA titles in 13 years from 57 to 69, including eight in a row. The Edmonton Oilers won five cups in seven years, part of a 10-year span where they went to at least the conference finals eight years. And in the 36 years from 1927 to 1962, the New York Yankees won 20 World Series, including a run of five in a row and four in a row. Uh, Ian, I'll start with you. Before we get to teams you might have on your list, does there have to be a cutoff? Do you have to separate leagues that had 6, 8, 12 teams and no salary cap from what's happening today? Well, I think with those teams that you mentioned, that's the thing that's the most interesting. Because of all of those comparables, only the, the, the Patriots are really the only one that's playing in the, the truly modern salary cap free agency world. Uh, and I think that when you have a sport like football where you have that many more players, and I'm not going to get to a debate about which sport's better or harder to win or anything like that, but when you have that many players with that much roster turnover, it puts that much more of an emphasis on drafting well and, and proper contracts, making sure the contracts that are being handed out are, are, are appropriate and you're spending money on the appropriate things. Uh, so, so I think for me, looking at comparing the eras, comparing, you I mean, when you're winning 
winning in a league with 12 teams compared to 32, obviously that, that parity can be a little bit more interesting. Uh, I think they're all impressive, and I think that's the most impressive is, is you have teams that are actually going and, and winning those championships. Uh, you have teams that can be really good for a, for a short period of time and teams that can be really good and not get over that hump, but all these teams have had that dominance. And then Jed made the comment before is that drafting, contracts, all those things are critical. Uh, but typically, I think the thing when you look at every single one of these teams, what they had that have, that made them what they were is excellent leadership from players, personnel. All of them had dominant athletes, but good leaders in the locker room. Uh, very, very good coaches and very, very good structures of an organization around them. And I think no matter what area you're talking about, that those are the, those are some of the most important things to have a successful program in any sport. Uh, and then especially when you get those dynasties, every single one of them seems to have that leadership. Jed, what what about you? Is it even fair to bring up the, the I mean, like if you just went numbers, the Celtics won 11 and 13. So, I mean, but can, yeah. but can yeah. you compare that NBA with fewer teams to whether it's NFL or whatever league nowadays? Can you even go down that road? Well, I think it's worth noting that uh, New England plays in a very weak division too, which helps. You know, like they, I can't remember the last time when the Jets or the the Bills or the Dolphins did anything. You know what I mean? So that that helps them. I think that when people are like pairing dynasties, and you're looking at teams like. Yeah, the salary cap is a very real um, thing when you're talking about managing contracts and making sure that you got everybody where they're supposed to be and slotted properly. That's something that, uh, you know, like the Celtics, that were, when they were winning all those championships, and the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees, even in recent years, they just pay the luxury tax and say what they have, right? right. So they don't care. They're just going to – the same with the, the uh, Red Sox, right? Um, you don't have that in the NFL. You're really – like, you, you're, you're kind of you're handcuffed, right? You, you just kind of – you have to figure out a way to establish that culture, and that's what makes it so remarkable. What the what the Patriots have done, and I think it really helps that they play in that really weak division. Um, but it's worth noting too that their record against winning teams is incredible. Like they, uh, when it's a big game, they show up. You know, I'll never forget. I'm a Broncos fan, and, and it's a bit tough right now being a Broncos fan because you know they're in a bit of a disarray, disarray there. But the Patriots, you know, they when you watch Brady. He comes to the line, and he's he knows what he's doing. He's very dialed in. He's very, like, in the moment. He just, it's amazing. I remember when the Broncos had Tebow, and it was just amazing to see the difference between the two. Like, Tebow was, like, just trying to get by on his athletic ability. And, you know, it didn't help that he probably had favored son status, but <laughs> <laughs> he made some pretty cool plays, you know, when you're like, where the heck did that come? Oh, okay, I see what you did there, God, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> Brady, Brady didn't rely on that. Brady came in prepared. He studied film, and and you could just tell, like he just he knew where the matchup was, and he exploited it. Like he he was very quick and he's very analytical. And you can see him, you know. Everybody talks about uh, Manning, and he's so theatrical when he's making those calls, you know. And um, Omaha, Omaha, you know, Brady doesn't really do that. Brady just uh, looks around the field and he sees it, you know. Like I, in the Super Bowl, he had uh, Gronkowski doing some pretty interesting things. He had a mark arc releasing to see how the defense was going to respond to that when they were in that double eagle. And he saw something and then he just kept doing it. Gronkowski had one of his best games, I think. Um, and it was kind of a, a subdued, understated game. But when they needed him, he came through. And I think he's playing hurt, too. Like, he's got some, a bit of a Achilles issue. And, you know, that's just what that makes that team great. Like, I, I just don't like... I. 
it's hard to compare eras, right? Like those yeah. teams, like the the Canadians and the Celtics, and you know they they dominated and those and and they played according to whatever the rules were in that time and and of an era. You know the Oilers too, and the the Islanders even. You know, like uh, but I mean the cap is just a funny thing. You know, it's very difficult. Like you look at the Oilers now, they just can't seem to make it work. They the handicap with this big six million dollar a year contract with Lucic, and they just can't seem to get rid of it. You know, and then you don't see the, the the Patriots making those types of mistakes. You know, they they get guys that are really good players to come in, and they they buy in, and then culturally they they make it work. You know, and that's what a great team does. You know? All right, Jed, I I, I got to go to the news. When we get back, we got Ian McLean and Jed Roberts on the line. Yeah. Uh, I'll ask them if I might have missed anybody, and and I think Ian wants to actually bring up. Uh, he has a very valid point if he's going to bring up what what he think of somebody from non-pro sports. But we're talking about the Patriots. Is it the greatest era ever in North America? 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.